Can you imagine what it would have been like to have been that man at the temple gate? To have been born without the ability to walk all your life, um, weekly, to be carried to the temple to ask for alms uh, because of your poverty. And after this one encounter with these two strange dudes who who at first seem to be kind of stingy and not generous, suddenly you begin to feel your ankles strengthening and your legs receiving strength that they didn't have before. And before you know it, you're walking and leaping and yelling for joy. Can you imagine that? How jarring that experience would be. Uh, One of my uh, friends in Virginia, his name's Garrett. He's the youth minister for the Williamsburg Christian Church. Mission Lives has had some partnership with them uh, over the years. It's where Fred Ligon pastors. He's a good friend of ours in 3E and our ministry to our neighbors who are in homelessness. Garrett uh, had a car accident several years ago and was paralyzed from the waist down. And so he goes everywhere in a wheelchair. And, and knowing Garrett... Uh, had helped me to kind of see the world through his eyes as someone with a disability. Like we were in Virginia for a conference in March, and we're in Old Town Alexandria, and there's all of these 200, 300-year-old buildings. And I realized just how complicated it is for Garrett to get around and how difficult it is to have to stop and wait for somebody to bring a ramp to get into a building that was not built for any kind of handicap access. And even the, the social pressure that kind of comes along with that, just being like a, a secondary member of his party, waiting to see, can we get into this restaurant, or do we need to go to another one? Um, funny slash embarrassing story, one time several years ago, I was teaching a, worship, a workshop at... Uh, Williamsburg Christian Church. Garrett was a part of this. And at one point I asked everybody, um, would you all stand up and let's sing together and worship God? And I hear Garrett from the other side of the room say, I would love to do that. (laughs) Sorry, sorry, Garrett. (laughs) If you're able to stand, you know, and we knew each other well enough by that point that he was poking at me. But even saying, you know, if you're able to stand, must remind somebody like Garrett, gosh, I'm not able to stand. I read this BBC article uh, the last week or two entitled, Stop Trying to Heal Me. It was written by a non-religious journalist who's been blind since he was a teenager. And he describes this encounter that he's had several times Uh, This time he was on the London Underground on the subway, and it's a crowded train, and uh, I think he has a sight dog, he's sitting down, and he gets a tap on his shoulder. And it's, it's a Christian man who's very eager to pray that he will receive his sight back. And this journalist talks about how, uh, honestly, how off-putting that is. And intrusive that feels for him, at least at first. Um, Because the message that he gets from that 
is that when you see me, you see that I'm broken. I'm, I am incomplete. Something's wrong with me. And you want to fix me. Um, and, you know, it comes from good intentions. It comes from the stories in the Gospels where, where Jesus goes and does exactly the same thing with people who are paralyzed or crippled or blind. And Jesus heals them. Jesus restores them to physical wholeness. Uh, but this was a different perspective for me. And, and not only was it, you know, not only is it this non-religious journalist with a disability, but what was interesting to him was that he found that it's also kind of annoying um, to Christians with disabilities. I wouldn't have thunk it. Uh, some Christians with disabilities have trouble reading scripture because people with disabilities in the Gospels are always fixed or healed. Jesus just goes around fixing people. And oftentimes it seems like they're, they're not really a main character in the story. They're objectified to showcase Jesus' power. Am I creating some tension for you? How, how do you navigate this tension? Let's talk a little bit. That on one hand, Jesus did heal people in the Gospels. But on the other hand, Christians who take the same approach toward people with disabilities can be really off-putting and have the opposite effect that they might intend in showing love to someone. How does it strike you? What do you think? I think it's, I mean, it's definitely an interesting tension. You know, as you were talking, it made me think of one of our professors at ACU. His son has since passed away, but he was born with brittle bone disease. So he was in a wheelchair his whole life. Um, and his body looks very different um, from, like, my body. And he would, you know, maybe get comments of people like, when, you, when you're in heaven, your body will be perfect, you know, like your body will be restored. And he would tell you, my body is perfect now. You know, he didn't see that there was something wrong or that needed to be fixed with his body. Yeah. And I think that it's, it's, um, it's hard for, um, for us to see that sometimes when... I think sometimes it's like we look at them, it is objectifying because we think that there's something wrong or something that needs to be fixed rather than seeing them as a whole person. Mm. Yeah, very good. Thank you for that, Bill. Other thoughts? Ted? Along those same lines, you say you're made in the image of God. People are. And so when you look at another person and you point out there's something wrong with them, you're in some ways denying that about God made me and, and, and I'm, I made a God's image but there's, you need some work and then you need to look at there and again it's well meaning but it's yeah yeah and so on, on, on some level I think it is probably true that we're we're all uh, we're broken in some form or fashion but I think what you're saying is right like if that's what we lead with um, especially with a person with disability yeah, it, it out of the gate we're saying, yeah, you're not enough. Yeah, yeah. Ben, I remember when my brother Andy, uh, I think second day, second or third day after Dylan, their third son was born, they found out that that he had Down syndrome, and I remember him reflecting on the experience of telling people 
Um, anyone who did not have a child with Downs or didn't have a serious connection, everyone was like, oh, I am so, I am so sorry. We'll be praying for you. But anyone that they told the news to who had a Downs child, they were elated with joy. They're like, you have no idea how great your life is going to be. Mm-hmm. Um, you have such a gift in Dylan. Yeah. Uh, that, that those two perspectives and him having that experience was pretty jarring for me. Yeah. I think connected to this notion of yeah. handicapped, disabled, who has, who doesn't. Yeah, that makes me well up a little bit because um, Aiden is the first Downs baby that I've been close to and really known well. And I look forward to coming to worship gatherings so that he can hug me. He just hugs my neck right off. And it's, a, it's an experience of the love of God for me. Yeah. Julie? Sorry, guys. Yeah, I think I think there's two different tensions for me there. One, something like Downs or, you know, like the you know, the idea of the, the way I was made was made in the image God and then people who are afflicted with something that they would like to get rid of. Yeah. You know, when it's um, migraines or uh, cancer or, you know, different things like that, then the tension changes for me a little bit. Yeah. But, yeah, if, if pain is in the mix... That is a different um, dynamic. And I think folks with chronic pain and disability in that way, um, yeah, maybe there is a different perspective on on hope and healing um, than if chronic pain weren't part of it. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I think it's a piggyback. I think every time I think of a healing that Jesus does, set the request of the person. Um, and there's something symbolic in finding wholeness in, in self. And so I think there is a difference between how I see myself, how I regard myself, and I, I see myself as my whole, and I'm seeking wholeness. He spoke to both the wholeness of body and the wholeness of spirit, because oftentimes he would say, go and sin the Lord. So I think that there is kind of like what she's saying, it's, it's, it has to do with personal perspective of am I whole? Um, and, and so I, I see Jesus' acts as an act of restoration of, of what was broken in self-image and image of God. Thank you, Duncan. Uh, at, at first blush, this Acts healing story seems to function in the same way. In Acts 3, the story that we read, uh, this healing miracle gives Peter and John credibility so that they can preach the gospel to the Jewish crowds that are there that know about what's happened to Jesus. Um, and they have, a, they have a hearing because of this amazing feat. In fact, in chapter 4 it says the, the, their numbers balloon to like 5,000 men and probably their households, hashtag patriarchy, because of what they experienced at the temple. Um, and and uh, in some, on some level, that's exactly what they do. They, they piggyback on this act of healing to preach this message to, that the Jewish leaders, that Rome had conspired to crucify uh, Jesus, but that he had been raised from the dead. And that that says something. Um, and and that, that that ushers in the possibility of the restoration of everything. It's one of the places where the Bible uses the language of restoration in terms of hope later on in chapter 3. Um, and that it was by the, the authority of Jesus. It was power that came from the name of Jesus that enabled this guy to get his legs back under him. Um, and so, because of this sermon, uh, they, should, they should ask for forgiveness 
for, uh, for murdering God's prophet. They should turn from their sins and be reunited to God. And, and I, I think it's a very common way to read this narrative is to say that the, the healing kind of sets up this gospel presentation. But there's more going on with this story than just the gospel sermon to the Jewish temple goers. It's part of it. Certainly is. But the lame man is more than just a prop or a credential for preaching about forgiveness of sins. We know this by the story that follows in chapter 4. Peter and John are arrested because they're causing such a stir about Jesus and resurrection. Like I said, all of those families, all of those men, I mean, there's, there's a number of them. And all this is doing is just reminding, putting in the Jewish leader's face what they have done uh, and, and creating distance between their leadership and credibility and what the masses are thinking about what has happened and the deci- decision that they made. And so uh, they throw Peter and John in jail and they stay there overnight. And the next day they go to this hearing with all the religious high leaders and they're asked to explain themselves. And if you want to follow along, I'm in chapter 4, verse 8. This is Peter's response. Then Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, said to them, Rulers and elders of the people, if we're being called to account today for an act of kindness shown to a man who was lame and are being asked how he was healed, then know this, you and all the people of Israel, it's by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, but whom God raised from the dead, that this man stands before you healed. Jesus is the stone you builders rejected, which has become the cornerstone. Salvation is found in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given to mankind by which we must, we must be saved. Okay, here's the tricky part. Because um, you could read this sermon the same way we read the sermon before. Basically, the, the, the healing miracle gives us an opportunity to like, preach the gospel of forgiveness of sins. Um, and when we read verse 12, we might be conditioned to think, oh yeah, salvation coming in Jesus' name. Um, he's talking to the Jewish people about how they can be forgiven from their sins. Like the sermon in chapter 3. But that's not right. The primary reference of salvation is to the man who was healed. Are you tracking with me? How do I know? The answer is hidden in plain sight. Thank you, uh, translators. Verse 9, if you want to read that again. When Peter is talking about, if we're being called to account for this kindness we've shown to a man who's lame, and are now being asked, what he's actually saying, we're now being asked how he was saved. This man who was lame was saved. That is the context with which Peter says salvation is found in no one else. This healed man got saved by the power of Jesus. That's what the power of Jesus does. That's the salvation that verse 12 is referring to. Are y'all tracking with me? You know what I'm saying? How, how the, the translators are... They hid this word save underneath the word heal in probably in most of your translations. If you wonder if that's some sort of fluke, it's not. On several occasions in the Gospel of Luke, when Jesus heals somebody, 
He uses salvation language. Take the woman who had this uncontrollable menstrual bleeding in Luke 8. And she reaches out and touches Jesus. She actually touches the, just his cloak. And she experiences healing. And he singles her out. And he says, daughter, your faith, our translation says, your faith has healed you. What he actually says is your faith has saved you. He's connecting what's happened to her to salvation. Not, not only is she coming close to Jesus and coming into Jesus, uh, coming close to Jesus, what she's experiencing in her physical body is salvation. Michael Gorman, who's um, increasingly one of my favorite New Testament student scholar dudes, says that this translation choice about like switching out healing for salvation um, represents a theological error. Basically, it's a bias of the translators of the text that assumes salvation is narrowly limited to having your sins forgiven. And if it doesn't have to do with that, then that's something else. That can't be salvation. It, it has to be some healing or being cured or something like that. What does this all mean? It means salvation is more than just getting your sins forgiven so that you can go to heaven someday. It certainly includes that. Hear me say that. They're preaching to the Jewish people to repent of their sins and turn to God. That's part of the gospel. It certainly includes that. But the showcase in this narrative is the man who was saved through this physical healing. It's not limited to forgiveness of sin. Being saved extends to being rescued from things that have happened to you, that you are not responsible for. Salvation reaches and delivers you from that. The greatest story of salvation in the Old Testament is Israel being rescued from slavery. That's the paradigm of salvation in the Hebrew Bible. It's about restoration and deliverance. It doesn't just happen in heaven one day. Because of the resurrection of Jesus... As this story illustrates, it can and does happen in the here and now. So uh, let's return to that BBC journalist's complaint. Because what we're finding in this act story doesn't seem to relieve the tension caused by his complaint, but rather heighten it. Not only are we saying, oh yeah, Jesus heals people, but we're saying healing is like tantamount to salvation. So we're like, yeah, of course Jesus wants to restore us to wholeness. It's part of what it means to be saved. So do we just need to tell this guy, this guy with blindness, who feels at peace with himself in his blindness, well, you're going to get your sight back whether you like it or not. You just don't know it yet. Do we need to tell him that? Or is there another perspective? This journalist interviews a Christian woman who's blind, named Lyndall Bywater. And she writes and teaches about prayer. And Bywater observes rightly that in Jesus' time, there was more going on than meets the eye with physical disability. Physical disability in Jesus' day meant social and economic and religious marginalization. Being lame, for instance, meant being poor. And destitute. This guy's having to go to the temple every day to beg and, and be carried there every day to beg. Not only that, but according to Leviticus 21, 
If you were lame, you could not offer sacrifice at the temple. You were excluded from worship at the temple. You were marginalized religiously. And so for Peter and John to heal this guy with Jesus' power, it wasn't just to restore his physical state. It was also to restore him socially and economically and spiritually. Now he would belong. He was restored to wholeness and community. And he could worship God just like everybody else. Salvation, we're beginning to see, is bigger and better than we thought. That BBC journalist asked Lyndall Bywater if Jesus would go around healing people today in the same way. Would he be eager to heal me? The journalist asked. You know, I'm, I'm somewhat empowered. You know, I have a sight dog. I have a good job. I, I feel pretty satisfied. Like, I don't feel marginalized by my disability. And Miss Bywater replied with some skepticism about whether Jesus would go around healing a lot of people, which I think is really fascinating. And honestly, I never thought about that. I mean, I'm an able-bodied person. Uh, But I think we need to take into account the witness of this blind Christian woman who has reflected and thought about this. She's skeptical if Jesus would run around healing people solely for the sake of fixing their disability. Which raises the question for me, is it possible, Val, to your story, that sometimes we can mistake difference for disability? Is it possible sometimes, sometimes, not all the time, but sometimes, that we could mistake difference for deficiency? I think it counts for something, too, that when Jesus is raised from the dead, that he bears the wounds of his crucifixion. The resurrection does not bring his body to complete fullness and wholeness. He has holes in his hands and in his feet. Uh, He bears the scars of his trauma so that he's able to tell his story. What, What might that say for our brothers and sisters and for our neighbors with disabilities? This non-religious journalist thinks that more disabled folks would welcome conversation about God if it started by saying, you know what, God loves you just the way you are. The article concludes with uh, the journalist completing the story that he started earlier about somebody tapping him on the shoulder and saying, hey, uh, could could I pray for you, for you to be healed? And he finishes the story by explaining that usually he says no. Uh, no, thank you. Um, I'm okay. But this time was different because the guy who asked to pray for him said, Hey, I, I'm a recovering addict. And I feel like I've been healed through prayer. Can I pray for you? And this non-religious journalist says, you know, this guy really sounds like uh, it would help him to pray for me. And so he says, yes, pray for me. And describes about how after the prayer, this guy is so happy and grateful that he could pray for um, this, this journalist with blindness. And, and feels even, the, even as though the tables are a little bit reversed. That the person that came to give the healing was the one that got some through that act of service and prayer. 
Which reminds me of the way God spoke through this lame man in his life at the temple about how God works in the world to a bunch of Jewish leaders and folks who thought they had it all figured out. Isn't that just like God? What implications do you think this story has for the way we think about salvation for ourselves, for the way we join in God's mission in the world? That, that kind of deliverance and salvation can, is a, a multifaceted thing. Yeah, yeah. and it, that it matters right now. But the yes. thing that's hard for me, like I really appreciate Duncan's comment about that when Jesus healed, it was because people asked him to. And so it's like he gave them good news. But then the hard thing is, it's like if someone's like, I've been asking God for good yep. news, and he's not giving it. <laughs> yep. Yeah, I, I mean, that's the... The, that's the tension that we um, we live with. On one hand, if Jesus was raised from the dead, that is evidence in and of itself that salvation has already arrived in the present realm. Just just as evidenced in the the body of Jesus that defeated death, as Tommy talked about earlier. Um, on the other hand. Uh, we long for restoration that has not yet occurred. Like, there's there's such a big not yet. I mean, I'm welling up as you're talking, thinking about people that are close to me. I'm like, why not yet, God? Like, I, so I'm stuck. I'm, I, I want to hold the tension of the resurrection breaking in to the here and now and how holistic it is and trusting in God in the not yet that I feel. In the places where it hasn't yet broken through, and that's really hard. That is a that's a place of faith and surrender and trust, and it may it might look like foolishness from the outside. I think that's one of the things that is so uh, eye-opening when um, you do finally get to that point where you're like, wait a minute. Salvation and freedom is not a one and done thing. Mm-hmm. It's a process, it's a journey. It's yeah. a, I'm constantly being saved. Yeah. I'm constantly mm-hmm. being free. Yeah. And as you said, in that constant tension of still being here, yeah. but still being free, 
still being saved. And so it takes so much pressure off of myself. Um, to because I, if we were sitting in a in an anonymous meeting, I would be saying, "Hi, I'm Lisa, and I'm a fixer." Mm-hmm. That is my that is my thing that makes me have this tension mm-hmm. of wanting to come in and fix things. Mm-hmm. Um, and having to find that confession constantly, this is not mine to fix. Mm-hmm. Um, and so that is spring for me. That's mm-hmm. a constant thing that I'm having to be saved from and being free from. Yeah. And so to me, that was just kind of like a, a pivotal tipping point, if you will, when you were talking about um, salvation, salvation showing itself in so many different yeah. ways in a constant. Yeah. We are constantly having to be saved until yes. heaven. Yes. In constant. Yes, that's that's wonderful. Thank you, Lisa. I think something that really just um, stuck out from what you said, and I don't know the implications of it, but um, are you supposed to know all? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Is how did Jesus anatomically not walk off of the mountain? This yep. being pierced. Yeah. Um, and that that challenges uh, some versions of of shalom, of what wholeness mm-hmm. is. Mm-hmm. You know, um, that we would want to fix it. We would see that stuck or whatever it is. Mm-hmm. And we would want to fix that. Mm-hmm. Um, and I know that would be important. But there's, there's just so much there. Yeah. Um, that kind of challenges my view of what Shalom Yeah, mine too, bro. <laughs> yeah, there's a, one of the guys. I mean, I, you guys look up this article on BBC. It's really, really fascinating. Uh, one of the guys that, uh, actually it's an 18 year old girl um, who finds in the book of Daniel this scene where God's throne is described and, and um, she is uh, she has a cerebral palsy and has to speak through like a synthesizer thing and through eye motion and contact um, and she finds this passage in Daniel 7 where God's throne has wheels. She's like God has a wheelchair. <laughs> the the, the biggest, best chair in the universe is God's wheelchair. Isn't that beautiful? Like, but that turns our conceptions of, like you're saying, shalom and wholeness kind of upside down a little bit. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, two things. One, I think it heightens for me the importance of listening um, to those that I would assume, the church assumes needs healing or fragmentation, like figure out how to be really good listeners first mm. and allow their own story and their own narrative experience to lead, not my assumptions of what I see. Yeah. Uh, and secondly, I'm struck by uh, how there are times in which my, my longing for someone else to have healing is more about my own questions and anxiety about what God is up to or not than it is about the actual person. Yeah. That I need, I need God to show up for my own experience, because yeah. I'm not sure if God's doing anything. And so, ooh, here's a good case study. Um, <laughs> if you could show up in that person, and just how objectifying and damaging that is, um, and a sign of my own ableism and privilege, uh, yeah. that I get to work out my anxiety and doubt and fear and uncertainty on somebody else, instead of being honest about my own. That's really uncomfortable for me, Ben. <laughs> but it needs to be I'll said. pray for healing for you. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's good. 
Yes, ma'am. The whole thing of brokenness. Mm-hmm. Because I think that if you asked any of us, we would say we're broken. Mm-hmm. But then I don't know that I ever thought about it in the context of the whole disability type of thing. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's it's I'm just sitting I'm just sitting in that right now, kind of. I don't know. I don't know how to. I'm just sitting in that because on Friday I talked to a parent, and by the time I got off the phone, I had to keep it together not to cry on the phone with this parent because it unfolded a story of her child. And I knew very well that her child had so many signs of autism, Hmm. and mom didn't know it. And she, she was broken in that. She was. Something's wrong with my child, and I don't know what is wrong with my child. And I sat there, and that whole thing of do I say anything or do I keep my mouth shut, you know, kind of thing. And and I just prayed about it and kind of walked in there with her through that. And by the time I get off the phone, I'm holding it together. And by the time I got off the phone, I was crying because mom's broken. Mom's broken. And so um, I don't know. I'm just. Today, I'm just sitting in brokenness, I guess. I'm trying to think about what is... I'm broken, too. We're mm-hmm. all broken. Mm-hmm. And yet, sometimes we don't think we're broken. Yeah. Um, John, we'll move us into prayer. Sorry, brother. Um, and, and I would like... Would somebody pray for this mom that Terry is talking about as a part of our, our prayer time? Um Mission prayers after our message is a time where we we can share breakthroughs and battles that we're experiencing in the mission, and we can pray for those things. So if you've got a battle or breakthrough that you want to share and and either celebrate or or ask God for God's strength and power uh, for the, the strength of Jesus' name to come through as we saw in this story today, then um, would you do that? And I'll 